p.m. Every Sunday, town's always about the culture. The want sculpture, recording every Friday. So here it our way, no need to catch a flight away. Stay tuned for our take. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Uh, what episode are we on? 74. We seem very unprofessional, I feel like. 74. <laughs> like, now we it's been like two years. They never know what episode they're on. <laughs> episode 74, we back. Uh, yes, back to After Dinner Conversations, a new episode this week. I'm here again, my brother, Stephen and Corey. Um, we're excited. How y'all doing? Exhausted. Like I said right before we started, oh, man. man. I kind of... Uh, I hyped it up, so we were all excited. <laughs> you know, I'm definitely excited. I'm tired, but excited for sure, because I know it's going to be a good episode. Uh, but uh, the, the weather is just weird. That's the thing, yo. The weather's been weird. Uh, work's been a grind. Uh, so i just been working on two ends. I feel like every time I go outside, it's pouring rain, and that just adds to whatever I have to do. Like, if I got to go get groceries, now I feel like I got to sprint to my car. Like, <laughs> And I don't like parking near people, so I'm still always in the back of the parking lot, no matter what the weather is. So, but I mean, other than that, we, I mean, we live, man. We good. Uh, we got, getting a lot of good feedback on the pod. Uh, people are excited. We're back. So just continue with the momentum. Keep it going. So. Yeah, no, I think um, to echo Stephen points, a lot of dope stuff is happening. Um, for me, it's almost March Madness. And y'all know I love college basketball. So I got some tournaments uh, coming here locally. So it's CIAA weekend in Baltimore. So I'm super mm. excited um, about that, being able to go watch some games over there. Uh, basketball season is coming to an end for me uh, from a referee standpoint. But it's been a dope season um, to get back out there on the court after a year of no basketball so to be able to be back out there has been dope um but yeah life is good for the most part the weather like steven said is so inconsistent it was 70 degrees and now we're talking about snow overnight so it's it's crazy that you know that 24-hour span is just such a quick shift so hopefully you know when spring is here in about a week or, so, or no when spring spring is what next month mid next month yeah yeah march 22nd that's yeah and the march technically what is it called like the spring not equinox that's the one other one is yeah. the solstice yeah yeah so hopefully as it starts getting warm it starts staying warm and stop you know doing this high low stuff so we'll see what happens in a couple of weeks yeah no for real um for me you know i just realized recently that i feel like my career takes up a lot of my time <laughs> during my week and my weekend and i'm like i enjoy what i'm doing i don't know i just i think i've been more recently like over the past week just a more grateful mood because of how like young i am to be working on the type of work that i do to be have the type of mentors that i have to be as my how kind of expanded my professional network is like across the country um i don't know i, I just been in this mood where i'm like i'm trying to see my like career through a different lens because it can be I mean I, you know I can talk about some very heavy stuff every day all day every day um as far as like social science and education and stuff so um I don't know I think I've just been coming into a new light that's what I've been working on just like trying to be like you know instead of just focusing on like hard how hard and it is a lot of hard work it's a lot of rigorous things that I do all day every day but you know just put on a different light I'm trying I'm trying to be more let's say uplifting Mm. how I view myself and so I've been feeling good <laughs> to summarize all that you know I've been feeling really good and I've been feeling like I don't know I think it was a better development for myself to be more more and more open about who I am professionally I guess that should that should that should be the point um too but you know 
I'm, I'm glad we're here. I'm glad we got the podcast back because I'm missing this weekly conversation. Yeah, if you're just in your head all the time by yourself. There'll be a lot going on. Yeah, exactly. There you go. I'm going to leave it right there. <laughs> um, so we can get into the cocktail hour. Start it off right now. And we're going to start off uh, talking about the Juwan Howard suspension um, for our non-sports following fan. Juwan Howard is a head bas- head coach at for the University of Michigan basketball team. Uh, they were playing the University of Wisconsin in a game last week. Um, and after the game, uh, Juwan Howard had um, some emotions and some thoughts about the other coach calling a timeout late in the game. Essentially, when the game was already over, the score was gotten away. There's no way Michigan was going to come back and win. Um, And then as they were doing the handshake line, uh, which has been a big hot topic in sports debate, too, um, at the end of the game to show sportsmanship, um, the Wisconsin coach put his hands on Jawan Howard in the sense that he just stopped him as he's walking by. And then they got to a little altercation. Uh, Jawan Howard threw an open hand, I guess I'll say, towards a different <laughs> assistant coach. It wasn't really like a punch or anything. Yeah. I wouldn't call, would call it a strike. I'm not sure what his intention were, but threw an open hand and connected with somebody's side of his face of the assistant coach at Wisconsin. Um, and then he was suspended for the rest of the regular season in, in college men's basketball, which was essentially, what, four or five games? Five games. But, I'm, and he can still, but he still be able to coach in the postseason. And like yeah. in the tournament and the March Madness coming up next month um, as well. So the big question here for our cocktail hour is, do you, do y'all think it was deserving that he got just, just a regular season for his role and what happened or should he have gotten more? Nah, he should have got less. He should have got, got like, less. he should have got like two games, honestly, if we're being honest. Right. Um, I think, and maybe this is a, a component of growing up being a kid who always gets in trouble. Um, I think there's something to say about people who constantly instigate uh, altercation, having little to no punishment as if they're not part of it entirely. And so what I often see is people trying to absolve somebody who was basically ignited something saying the person should have had better control over themselves. When in reality, the person who ignited it should also have better control of themselves. Now, the gravity of their actions are different. I understand that. But you don't get to that point without one without the other. And so they didn't show a lot of the clip on like, I want to say online, they might have shown on ESPN, but the inter started at least two or three minutes before with the timeout. And then the, the coach kind of like yelling from across the sidelines. He's doing like weird gestures with his hands, basically telling him to like suck him or something like that. He's doing a lot of different things that you don't do to a grown man. Let me just say it, sit off of that off the back. And so it's like, that's one, two, you know, when you allow the media to spin something, it just gets out of hand. Like when I heard, first heard it, it was like, Dwan Howard threw a punch. So I'm like, Dwan Howard threw a punch? No way. I'm looking, I, I looked for like, like, I watched four or five videos. I'm like, where's the punch? And I just kept seeing that little grab. Like it's almost like he was trying to grab glasses off his face, but he didn't have glasses. Mm-hmm. Like he connected, but did he really? You, If you're grabbing somebody's face and you don't bring them in the grab, what do we call that? I don't know. As, mm-hmm. Like Mike said, I don't know if it's a strike. I don't know what it is. And, and so, like, like I said, for non basketball fans, uh, like Juwan Howard is not a normal sized man. He is six foot nine. That is a yeah, he's huge, a large man to be striking or you know to be. Mm-hmm. You know, so <laughs> it's yeah. So it's one of those things. Like I don't like you know I don't mind. He you gotta get suspended. You know you gotta set a baseline as an institution. Like you know three games. Like it's the end of the season, so I guess the five kind of fits whatever. But like. If this was the beginning of the season, where you res- suspend them for the rest of, rest of the season, I don't I don't think that makes sense. Which is why I'm like two to three probably makes sense. 
And then what happens with the other coach? Because I don't think the coach, that coach was actually professional at all in any capacity. Like when you basically help ignite a brawl with your team, with another team, that's poor professionalism. Like that's Mm -hmm. peak unprofessionalism, especially when you're not talking about like football, talking about basketball. So he, of course, it's up to the institution and they're not going to, what school is it, Wisconsin? Yeah, University of Wisconsin. No comment on Wisconsin. I <laughs> Yo, why'd you... you say Wisconsin like that? <laughs> so, I mean, I'll leave that where it is so you can understand where, where I'm going with this. They're not really going to do anything to their guy. But realistically, he's he, the, at least the other coach should have got two. If, if their institution is about discipline or consistency, they would have gave two games. Or if the NCAA finally wants to act like their uh, actual governing body of principle mm-hmm. – they would just give both of them three games. But, you know, you can't trust a lot of institutions, especially NCAA, to be consistent about things, especially with the refereeing at the UConn game against Villanova. That's why they still took the L. But that's okay. I'm done. My speech is done. I was ready to go with this one, man. Yo, Stephen coming for everybody. He coming for the board of <laughs> officials. Men and women, man. He coming for the conferences. He coming for – it's a lot. But, um, no, to Mike's original question, I mean, I think the – the five game suspension towards the end of the season makes sense. Um, I think, you know, when it comes to college sports, there's a very thin line, right? Because we're talking about from the athlete standpoint, these, especially in this conference, right? We're talking about these high caliber, mm-hmm. high level athletes that have a high potential of playing pro in some capacity that are competing daily, but we also have to recognize that they're doing so at an institution where a lot of the administration are far removed from what happens on the court. Mm -hmm. So, you know, seeing passion on the court and, you know, mouthing off on the court is is normal. But if you're in a boardroom making a decision, you know, understanding the passion of the game, what the Wisconsin coach was doing, how you're reacting in this situation. I mean, I, it's understandable. And like Steven said, you got to set a baseline, you know, at some point to, to set that, that discipline standard, so I think it, I think it makes sense, but I think you know from an outside looking in, it's always going to be hard to understand you know what's happening in the game in the moment, right? If you weren't at the if you didn't watch the whole game, the last two minutes don't make any sense. If you didn't watch the whole two minute clip, then the altercation at the you know so it's all contextual, mm-hmm. um, and so I can imagine that there there was probably a lot of stuff happening during the game that you can't hear unless they're mic'd up, right? right? You could just try to read miles and you know and read lips and stuff like that, so. I think it, it it makes sense. I mean, at this point in the season, I'm sure he could probably still uh, coach at practice, which is probably the the bigger issue at this point in the season because most of the stuff is probably on autopilot for the most part, and mm-hmm. now they're focused on preparing for the tournament. So I think it makes sense. Um, but I think, like Stephen said, especially when it comes to sports, there is usually always two sides to any altercation. Um, and I think you got to be mindful of that. But I think the five games is is understandable. Yep. Yeah, I'm right on the same line as y'all. I think it's, I think it's what sh- should be expected because to me, I think that I mean, no one wants to see that. Of course, from like head coaches on like these two highly public programs. You know, you talk about University of Michigan, like like a number one research university in the country. University yeah. of Wisconsin, another fantastic university, um, research university, like these well, well-established basketball programs. And that's what you want to see is two, like the, the leaders of those programs or, the, you know, or the, all the coaches, like just get into a physical altercation, you know? Um, and 
I just don't think that, you know, I'm, I actually, I'm glad they did it like just to five, four or five games because I, I don't think they should have over um, exaggerated or overreacted. I, I should say the institution. Um, Cause I, I watched the video so many times and it just seemed like emotions were tense. It was a tough loss. Like Corey said, like, who knows what was going back and forth. <laughs> Excuse me. If, um, if the if the Wisconsin coach didn't even tell us what you know Juwan Howard said when he was walking past, like we would have never known. Like you know, mm-hmm. it's like you know, I I don't I would never like I don't think especially as like you know I'm just gonna you just gotta keep it. You know, it was between like Juwan Howard, a black man, and a, and a white male coach. I would never want to see a black male like coach and just lose his job because he lost his cool in one moment. Now there were arguments I've heard that uh, Juwan Howard had previous incidents before, like maybe like two or three, as far as like. Um, just some like certain behavior on the court that was like, uh, oh, so so what college coaches usually do though, if we're being yeah, honest. exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, how do you treat Dan Hurley like the other night? But mm-hmm. um, and so people were arguing that maybe it should have been longer, but I I just don't think that it was like a fireball offense. That it was like that heinous of a thing. But of course it's unacceptable. But you know we we should we should just like learn that like no people are human like I just I I just don't see anything more than it they were very upset and then things just got out of hand especially when someone touches someone when they don't want to be touched no matter how old you are like it just you know yeah you know it's we all know it can just go go off the rails that way um but y'all have any lasting thoughts on this Um, I mean I think sports is an area of passion right and it's always going to be a thin line when it comes to to passion on either side but I think the hard part is when you're doing it at a collegiate level, you're not just a coach for this sport, right? You're an employee of the, of like Mike said, these two top caliber research universities. And, you know, you got to always take that into account too. Yeah. yeah. Even past the institution portion, I think we really need to like put a, uh, an eye on these sports news stations and these analysts and mm-hmm. these broadcasters I don't know if we're in like a forever long dry news cycle, but some things I think just get blown way too out of proportion. Like the way people were talking about this as if this has never happened. Like like Bob Knight was throwing chairs at his players. Like this, this is the craziest <laughs> thing they've ever seen. It's just, we got to relax with some of this, but conversation for a different day. Nah, that the video in my head, Bob Knight was going through, <laughs> um, But people were arguing because it was like, oh, we're in a different era. So hyper-visualized yeah. social media, all that stuff. But Listen, now everybody could be Coach K, man. Stoic on the court, you know what I'm saying? Or, like the- um, or Pat Riley or... Um, right. Eric Spolstra, just sitting there, kind of like, oh, my God, this happened. What's his name? Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse, yeah. Monty Williams, we can name all the NBA coaches. <laughs> like, they, they be composed. All right, going into our topic today, um, I'm sure if you have an, Insta- an Instagram account, you probably have seen Kanye uh, doing his IG and Instagram escapades and posting about anything from his divorce to his fashion to new music um, as well. But particularly earlier in the month when Black History Month first started, he had made a post that he said that instead of Black History Month, he will call it Black Future Month. Um, not not much more came from that after that, than that concept. But I thought it was an interesting idea because uh, maybe reflect a little bit about just like, you know, what, especially after everything we've been through in COVID and, you know, as we're recording this right now, you know, there's a, another world war that has started that we're not going to get into today. Um, but you know, just all these things happening with on top of the pandemic, climate change, the social institutions doing all types of different things in terms of like if people have access and resources and increasing poverty, like there's so much going on in the world. Um, so I'm, I really want to sit and have a kind of an open discussion, uh, more so uh, nothing too deep or heavy, but more so into like what from right now, you know, looking ahead, what is our black future looking into the 
rest of this, just this decade. <laughs> Let's just get through the, you know, we're barely into like a quarter into this decade and <laughs> we're already pandemic and wars and everything like that. Um, like how can we really think about if we're trying to get to 2030, that's where our conversation is around. Yeah. Let's get to 2030. Um, you know, and for us, we're three of us are like, you know, mid 20s. So this is like our perspective coming from it um, as well. So we're going to talk through around like three recent stories that's happening in different uh, institutions in the United States. And though this conversation, I should say, as a disclaimer, is focused on uh, Black Americans. That's just where our analysis is. That's where we can get the most relevant news sources so we can talk from a, a place of um, knowledge from uh, too as well. And so well, let me bring up the script real quick. So we're gonna start with an article on black home ownership. And that's our first topic today. And I picked mm -hmm. this one because y'all, I didn't work with y'all as, uh, as I prepare this. Uh, I picked this one for Hori's field because uh, I know Hori is, uh, and I know what field he's in specifically, but I know he's taken a lot more finance education than me, Stephen probably um, have. And so this is for him. Um, so this, this article was by Jeffrey McKinney on blackenterprise.com. So I'm gonna read an excerpt from the article just to introduce all of our audience to the topic as well. So the surging residential real estate market of the last two years led to record high home prices and record low inventory. Um, the, simultane the simultaneous double trouble has made it increasingly difficult for consumers, particularly black Americans to achieve home ownership. Affordability in December, um, this, I believe it's December, 2021, affordability in December uh, reportedly hit a 10-year low as a lack of housing supply drove home price growth uh, that made home ownership unaffordable for many people, especially Black Americans, and that is supposedly because many of them harvest a lesser uh, share of the U.S. median income um, historically. I, uh, George Ratu, uh, forgive me, George, if I pronounced that wrong, uh, Realtors.com uh, manager of economic research told Business Insider the Black home ownership rate currently remains the lowest in the country, underscoring, underscoring excuse me, how the challenging COVID housing market has compounded longstanding systematic issues faced by today's Black buyers. So given all that context, <clears throat> the question that we're going to talk about today, is it still realistic for, for Black Americans who are under 30 years old to achieve this home ownership goal. Now, there is could be have a conversation for people over thirty, but we're just gonna focus on our you know young uh, young emerging uh, labor market participants. Hmm. So, I mean, I'll, I'll jump in so we can save that expert for last, right? Uh, that's <laughs> what that's, this is. This is they do in the, that's what they do on the, <laughs> this. what they do on the sports shows. Mike sees it. Um, so, I I would say this. I think yes, it's possible, but I think what we're gonna see as the decade grows is probably and I don't, I don't have an official stat to back this up, but probably the largest wealth gap among Black Americans we've ever seen in terms from an educated standpoint. So I think um, a lot of individuals who are pursuing uh, secondary degrees, PhDs, and things of that nature, they're going to be granted inflation and, you know, whatever cents on the dollar you make with white men, whatever, are still going to be making a much higher dollar than black Americans who either only have one degree or have some some sort of certification depending on where their field lies um, and so what's going to happen is we're going to have uh, of course like the same the same way you see like people say there's more black millionaires now than there's ever been you're going to see that to a much lesser extent of like middle upper class black Americans but that gap is just going to increase where it looks like we can do it but it's still a very thing hard, hard to excuse me, a very hard thing to obtain. I think in the, in the article you sent, Mike, it said like, 
uh, the median income needed for people to at least be in consider, to consider home ownership is like what anywhere between seventy five to one hundred thousand, give or take. Mm-hmm. Um, and the medium income for Black Americans is what? I know are, the medium income for the United States is like 45. And Black yeah. That's less than that. So. I'm pretty sure it's like, I can't quote the exact statistic, but I'm pretty I sure it's like 32, 33. It's in the 30s, but yeah, don't quote yeah, it. Yeah, I think I I'm pretty sure it's in the 30s. Yeah. And so even if you have a two-parent household, you're barely grasping that 75, right? And I'm saying parent household, like I should say two people willing to buy a home in their 20s. They don't got to be parents, yeah. mm-hmm. but- when you when you think about that from that perspective is like it's a very hard reality to reach and i think um like i know a lot of people who are real estate black real estate agents things of that nature um and i think early 2020 mm-hmm. everything was buzzing like my boy will call me once a month steven yo if you want to get into real estate come talk to me man i got properties here he, he's down north carolina like there's properties here man like just say the word and I'm like, I'm thinking, of course, we all think we got some more time. And then COVID hit, things went lower, and then things just skyrocketed. Like, I got family in Jersey. Like, that, like every house on their street went up, like, 30% of their worth. Like, you can't buy a house on their street. Like, they, like you know, they bought it, luckily, before everything went up. But it's, it's the idea that, like, it's attainable for the few, not the many right now. It's trending towards that, I should say. And I think it's only going to get worse with inflation. So, yeah, no, I mean, I think Stephen covered a lot of the points. I think, you know, it goes back to, to economics, right? It's supply and demand. And right now there's not enough supply to meet the demand. But I think in terms of how our generation prioritizes home ownership, I think, yes, we say we want it, right? You know, we, we say we're acquiring for it, but in terms of from what I see again, and I could be wrong, you know, I, I certainly don't know everybody and don't talk to everybody, but mm-hmm. it doesn't seem that we're prioritizing it the same way pr- previous generations did in terms of the sacrifices they made in order to achieve it. And so for, I think for previous generations, it would say, hey, we're going to save up every penny for this down payment and not do anything until we get into this house. And, and that was a goal. And I think, again, not saying that our generation should be doing that because I think, you know, it's a different, it's a different era, right? It's a different time. Um, but I think we also, it certainly home ownership is not to the number one priority the way it once was. And so is it attainable? I think it can be as long as, you know, after the pandemic or, you know, once it transitions over and, you know, supply chain, sort of speeds back up and gets back on track and, you know, lumber costs aren't ridiculous and we start building a little bit more and we're able to increase the supply. I think, you know, it it can certainly be attainable. The question is, will it fit our lifestyles, right? You know, we're not looking to live in the same place for the rest of our lives. Many of us aren't, right? We're looking to stay at a place for three to five years and, you know, move on. Sometimes it's even shorter than that. Sometimes it's it's, it's a two-year stay in a certain city, Or sometimes we want to be in the city and we don't want to move out. And so, you know, obviously prices tend to be higher in the city than they they tend to be in the suburbs or in rural areas. So, you know, how much are we prioritizing that? Because, again, I think previous generations will say, hey, if I got to move outside to the suburbs, I'm cool. right? I'd rather have a house than be able to be near the bars and the museums and the restaurants. And I think we would rather be near the bars and the museums and the restaurants. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think we just have different priorities. And so I think it changes that. 
I think Stephen made a good point in terms of wealth. I think like Mike's article mentioned, um, the study was based off of income 75 to 100,000 in terms of affordability, which is, you know, a pretty high standard, especially for single people. And I think, you know, again, our generation tends to be more single. Mm. Um, And so I think when you recognize that, I think I pulled it up here for a second, the median household income for African-Americans or for Black people in this country is around 40,000. Okay. But the married couple family income is around 80. Mm. And so in order to even fit in the the study that Mike showed, right, you have, it has to look at a married couple, right, from a median standpoint. And so to recognize that there's other social factors that play into it rather than, you know, is this attainable? Is it not? Well, how much are you prioritizing it, right? Are you willing to say, hey, I really want to prioritize wealth and, you know, home buying and stuff like that. And so that's going to be a part of my dating. And that's going to be a part of how I mate, or, you know, I'm going to withhold this trip, or I'm going to be willing to move further outside the radius that I was looking into, because home ownership is more important than being close to the action. So I think there's a lot of generational differences that also play a factor to the point where, while it could be attainable, it's not, it's just simply not prioritized. And again, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but I think, you know, we as a generation do, I think need to focus a little bit more on long-term and I don't know if we're doing that, right? Not to say, again, certainly not speaking for us as a whole, but I think, you know, a lot of the conversation, I think tend to be more short-term in terms of what those aspirational goals in terms of things like home ownership look like. Mm-hmm. And for people who like new to this topic, like this isn't, you know, Black Americans didn't over generations just choose not to buy homes over time. You know, there's definitely a structure or systematic history. Redlining. redlining yep. You know, redlining and, you know, just discriminatory ways that Black Americans have been uh, kind of kept out of uh, or not didn't have access to uh, purchasing homes, uh, even if they have the capacity to, um, or if they qualify for, for programs that help them uh, get loans um, to get to get homes, <laughs> loans and homes, uh, rhyme. Um, and so I, so given the context of what Stephen Porter just said, now my question is, if we know in the United States, the number one way for building that large family wealth, that large generational wealth is owning a home. Um, and so if our generation does not have those same tendencies or the same inclinations to motivations to go out and, you know, purchase a home, do we have to redesign or, you know, readdress the ways that we procure, procure, excuse me, like generational wealth for our generation? If it's not through home ownership, like, do we have to figure out new ways of saying, like, how can we, you know, get that level of money, just get that level of money? I mean, do you really need family generational wealth if you're single? Let me stop. Um, uh, see, I, 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 was, I, I was trying to figure out if it was going to be no, important. It, it, it depends on what you want for yourself. You know, let me right. stop. You're right. I'm I mean, you don't need that much. <laughs> I feel like everyone would like, you know, because we're talking like, let's say six figures and up type of range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I get it. Once that, you know, I get the question. But I don't know. Like, I don't. I think I just have a trouble understanding like the idea like what other ways like is there quote unquote right like mm-hmm. you can invest in stocks we've all seen the crypto craze in the last mm-hmm. two years Roth so, IRA. you, you can get we only get Roth IRA if you make under 125,000 a year I believe so once you outside that tax bracket it's kind of 
you got to go find other means. Um, you're, you're all <laughs> yeah. And it's so funny though. Cause when I learned that in high school, I'm like, damn, I want to make way more than that. So my rock going to be useless. If I really get up there that high, that's tough. So, um, what was I going to say, but no, Roth IRA is still good. Um, but in, in general, it's like the wheels kind of set, right? Like other minority groups or other racial groups, I should say, aren't looking for new things or maybe they are right. I'm not going to speak for them, but it's like, can we find a new way or do we need to just bunker down and just go that way? I don't know. Right. Cause you can, cause finding a new way to like, quote unquote, build that wealth requires you to have not only the, uh, the ability to be patient, but the willing to take risk and your success, not guaranteed. It's not like we're going to find a new way and we're going to find it like guaranteed. If you spend X amount of time trying to find those new ways and you fail, respectfully, of course, what does that mean for you and the wealth generated? Because you can't get time back, right? And so maybe, like, maybe we don't want those things as a generation or we're moving towards something different, but the time is crunching in order to figure out what that, what that alternative is. Like we're in our, we're in our mid-20s. No, no new money's growing tomorrow. Like whatever salary you got, unless you get a new job next week, you're going to have that for at least another year or two. Or if you get yearly raises or whatever. So it's like, unless you're throwing your money into something that's a guarantee. And if you are, please tell me. I don't know where else we're going we're to go with that. Um, as I think, not, I just, I think you're, not, you're not NFTs? I, yes and no. Um, but I think people, the, my problem is, is people get too crazy on a concept and then they, I don't want to say they ruin it, but they cause the crash. And so an NFT crash is bound to happen amongst all the other things in the world, right? It's bound to have the same way the crypto crash is coming. It doesn't mean things can't go back up, but it's like, if you bought it before the crash, you're just depressed <laughs> because you really should have waited after. So um, it has, I mean, NFTs are cool and they're good and all, but I think some people over estimate especially like people trying to get into like music nfts and stuff like that they overestimate the um the applicability of it at least from a music art is different i think art nfts work they just do it's what it makes sense but like other things like music or i don't know audiobooks or something i can't understand those nfts i don't even i don't understand how money is generated in that value so but that's just me we had to bring on the expert <laughs> right we can move on to our next story, though. So all right, for our next one, we're going to be talking about transformative college admissions. So I'm going to read an excerpt from an article in the Texas Tribune by Kate McGee and Andrew Zhang uh, to start. Uh, if a, so Paul Quinn College and HBCU started a new transformative uh, admissions policy. Uh, so if they have a high school senior who was accepted into their college and they're coming into the college with at least their high school GPA is at least a 3.0 GPA average and they qualify for federal financial aid. So they have to be uh, either at or below a certain income threshold. Um, they can also choose two family members or friends to enroll with them. So the goal of this policy is to take the pressure and responsibility uh, to change the course of a family's financial situation off of just one first-generation college student um, and to increase the odds of a success when the family witness, witnesses each other uh, working towards a certificate or degree. 
uh, to quote, uh, your teammates matter that from Michael Sorrell, the president of Paul Quinn College. Uh, he told the Texas Tribune, if you can invest in your teammates, if you can invest in your village, that makes the village stronger and that improves the odds and opportunities for your village to survive, to thrive, excuse me. Uh, so for the two family members or friend who will come in with the incoming freshman who got accepted into the university, those two additional family members or friends uh, will be selected to enroll um, in a bachelor's degree. Through the through the college online degree program or a certificate if they want it through a credentialing program called PQCX at the school, so sounds amazing as as initial thought. Um, so, but the question here is today: How might Paul Quinn's college new admission practice to come to combat intergenerational poverty and remove the pressure off of first gen students, uh, inspire how future Black generations access higher education or or advanced training? I should say. That was a heavy article. You got, you got it, Corey? Yeah, no, yeah, it, is, I mean, it is. It is. I think it. I think it is a heavy article. I definitely see the goal of it. Um, I just don't know if I'm being honest how practical it might be mm -hmm. because I think for a lot of degree programs, college is an investment with a return that isn't guaranteed. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the hard part. And I often think, of, I don't know if you to watch Atlanta, but I often think there yeah. was an episode of Atlanta where he was like, most people can't afford to invest because they're too busy trying not to be poor yep. and, or something to that, something to that effect. Mm -hmm. But ultimately the goal was being able to invest is a luxury at a, at a lot Facts. of points. And so to think that, and I think somebody in the article referenced like a family member that was just working job to job to job to make ends meet. But to think that, oh, so am I going to quit one of these jobs to focus on school? Right. And so, you know, where's the ends meet going to come from? Right. How are those two ends going to meet? And so I think, again, I see the goal of bringing education, providing access to people that might have not thought about education before or took a break and didn't know how they were going to get back. Cool. But I think from an immediate practicality, are there going to be other incentive programs that potentially pro provide, you know, um, stipends or some other, you know, form of temporary income to allow these people to make the investments? Are we going to make sure that we that we're focusing on applicable programs or practical programs? Are we going to let people come back and you know just major in whatever they want, right? And I think, and I'm not saying again people can't make their own choices, but I think there are majors that tend to have a better ROI than others. And I think if we're going to have people take the the risk, we would want to ensure that there's something that substantiates them doing that and gives value to them doing that. So I think I am a little bit afraid of the practicality. I do think for a lot of people going back to school and taking the time and losing the income that going back to school brings is a risk. And I just don't know how many people are going to be willing to take that risk. If again, it's already a struggle to make those two ends meet. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think Corey draws good points. And I also think something in the article that kind of like the, the, the baseline premise of you can choose two family members or two friends or, or whatever to come with you, um, I think sounds cool on an initial principle, but depending on how you are as a student coming into college or fresh out of high school, or whatever, 
you want to get away. I want to say you want to get away from your family, but you, there's a level of independency that happens when you're in school without your family at your hip or your brother or your sister or somebody. And I think I understand the premise of them trying to create like this support system for the individual. Um, I just don't know if somebody also studying and struggling with you from an academic perspective is necessary the support system you require. Right. So I think it's dope that the opportunity is there for taking them to school, but I don't know how much that helps really. Like, I think even Santa Harbor, how much that helps with retention necessarily. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's going to be um, the data is going to be interesting in like four or five years because that's the only way you know. That's the only yeah. way you can examine if this thing works. So. If, um, they, I'm, not, I'm not sure with the, you know, I don't attend Paul Quinn, nor do I work for that uh, HBCU. So I'm not, <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I can't, I'm not trying not to spokesperson. Like, speak for, yeah, you know, speak on their program and like, I'm not sure what they're doing research-wise, data-wise, funding, like, um, but I just, you know, if they were, if they were doing research and stuff like that, like, it, like, like y'all are saying, it's an interesting model, because, like, I guess, you know, what they're um, essentially saying is that by having that, those two supports with you as you, especially your first year, and we know that's one of the most important years of college is your freshman year, um, as you're transitioning into college, that should help with their, like, the retention, their persistence, you know, and hopefully the graduation, um, rate um and you know being able to go through college together and you know that being that that belong that sense of belongingness you're coming in with like i'm assuming it should impact their positive positively impact their academic achievement hopefully the extracurriculars you know depending on what they get involved in and so on and mm-hmm. so forth it'll be really interesting to see how they fare against um, other freshmen or especially other freshmen who didn't who were maybe in the same income class and you know didn't um did not go through the same like didn't have the two partners with them coming in yeah um and i think that i think overall the sentiment the intent um that like the increased access those are all like you know i can never say like that's a, you know, a bad thing like that's fantastic i think um that they're 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 even opening their doors up to say like you know even if, like you said even if you don't want to be like the you know on campus four-year traditional type of scholar you can say like all right we're both we're the three of us are going to college but i'm more of an online person like Corey said yeah. maybe i work too much but i can i can manage the, the part-time thing um mm-hmm. or like you know i can i i just want to get a certificate i don't even want to do like a, a, a degree um you know just the opportunity access to opportunity is like like it's just a wonderful thing to hear um especially at hbcu just being able to just bring more people in expose them to that type of environment maybe just expose them to new experiences things they might have never seen people they might have never met before um you know it has fantastic Fantastic. I, I really do want to see the outcomes of it. And I really, I really, I really, I'm really from the bottom of my heart open because this is exactly why I work and like I would do every day. I really am hoping that this is something that increases or has some type of positive impact on their, their retention. Um, I'm wrestling on these words. Like, I don't think everyone knows what we mean when we're saying retention, persistence. Yeah. Retention is like they actually stay in college through the four years. Persistence is a different way of looking at it that they, you know, yeah. go through the levels um, of it as well. The graduation rate, I'm sure we all know what that means. Um, and, you know, I, I want it to be that, I want this model to be effective, but it, it will see, it will be interesting to see how, like, what, what rates that they actually engage with their campus, with, you know, with their GPA looking like, all that, all that nice data, if they're even collecting that type of data. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be interesting. It's, we're gonna now, see. Mike, how would you would you take from just from like a research standpoint, would you look at the same metrics for the student as you would the person that the student brought in? Or would you try to like gauge them differently because you would you would assume that again, say they bring in their parent or their uncle or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Obviously, you would try to look at them at more an accelerated pace because I think the goal would be for them to transition quicker. 
right? So how would you differentiate just high level? I'm interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the biggest question is, it's, it's the question of like what their research focus on is like, is the purpose of this program, and we're all, we're all talking hypothetically, like mm-hmm. said, yeah, 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 we don't know, we don't know, yeah, audience, for audience, we don't know about, <laughs> what they're doing or these people, scared, um, you know, just hypothetically, like, but it depends on what your research focus is, in my opinion, if the focus is on how does this program help these students, the freshmen, like they, that they accepted with the 3.0, like, you know, how, do they, how does this help these students persist, does it help their belongingness, you know, does it help their, you know, connected, how connected they are on campus, if they interact with faculty, all these uh, random variables that you can go through. Um, but if you're saying like, okay, how does this help with our overall like graduation rate of taking of students who taking students who are, um, I'm, you know, I'm a, I don't, don't want to assume, but if you know if you're a certain income class, like if you're bringing in someone from your family, they might be of the same class. You know, it just it might vary. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not saying I can't bring my middle class friend to college yeah. with me. Yeah. If, you know, but we, we, it's, that would be interesting too. Like who's actually brought along and like what their background is, um, as well. But yeah, it depends on the research focus. If it was up to me as a person, um, I would definitely um categorize them a little bit differently. Um, right. saying that like this was a student, this was a student that came in, but this is and these students, although they're they're you know they're definitely defined as freshmen in our programs um you know but they they were brought in with uh, okay. through this model of a program too uh, just so that we can just see like how they fare over time it'll be mm-hmm. interesting to see just like you you're, i feel like research perspective looking future retrospective you're gonna you're gonna want to know like what the difference is and like how Absolutely. they fared and like inter- extracurriculars or you know is it a good thing this is happening or you know not trying to very just, just a hypothetical question it was like oh are we accepting students who may not you know have the competency to like excel on this type of higher education level um you know are they struggling like are they are they not fitting along or some are or others aren't you know what if the 3.0 kid does poorly and the other two do well yeah. <laughs> like you know there's so many, yeah. so many things that could pop up um but yeah that's that's to answer your question that's how i would do it yeah no i i agree and i think i was just asking because i think a lot of the research i would hope you know makes adjustments to potentially the program offerings right hey yeah. maybe we want to offer more certificate programs or maybe we want to offer more you know potentially associates degrees oh, yeah. right more so that we can get programs online yep, yep so that again i'm assuming that some of the people that the students bring would be non-traditional students right mm-hmm. we want to not that we want to get them in and out as quick as possible <laughs> but yeah. for to, for lack of a better term, we want to get them in and back into the workforce to be able to provide for their families, so on and so forth, at a different rate than we would somebody that we want to experience the full four years of, of undergrad. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any closing thoughts, Stephen? No, uh, I think y'all hit it on the money. This is excellent. <laughs> but uh, I know in the article they had, I think, I don't know if it was absolute, but it did say that the people who were brought on would like either do a there's definitely an online program i don't know if it's accelerated or not but it can choose between the online degree or certification mm-hmm. um so i think off that it definitely got to be different um because yep. the capacity of which they're learning won't be the same right mm-hmm. the experience won't be the same yeah, yeah so mm-hmm. but it's, it's it's cool to, to uh, look at that i know dr hines would love to get his eye on that on that research yeah yeah i would too hey but at the end of the day what, what's the bottom line here we love our HBCUs. We celebrate our HBCUs. Big facts. We appreciate the, you know, the innovative admissions practice to even attempt to make a change in all these people's lives. Um, Absolutely. That so shout out to Paul Quinn College and every HBCU in the nation. So Amen. for our last story, uh, we're going to talk about Black tech workers. Shout out to my man, Stephen Sam. I'm screaming. <laughs> yeah. Here we go.
<laughs> they're talking about black tech workers and their short leases and within their within their own industry mm. um, so this is an article uh by ryan golden from hrdive.com um, to start the excerpt reading uh so black technology workers face professional barriers that lead to shorter average tenures than technology workers of other racial backgrounds according to a recent report by executive search firm uh, russell reynolds associates russell reynolds uh, found that black tech workers move between employers every three and a half years in order to advance in their career or the, from their position, whereas non-Black tech workers did the same every five years on average. Uh, the difference was even more pronounced in workers with less than 10 years of experience, of career experience, uh, with Black workers leaving after an average of two years and non-Black workers doing so after an average of four and a half years, which means that early career Black tech talent may have less insight into the practical, practical considerations of moving up the career ladder within their either company or industry, um, and particularly with respect to networking too, because they're not staying as long as you know normal the other non-black tech workers are. So the question from this last story that we're going to discuss is how should aspiring black tech workers prepare themselves for an industry where they are experiencing shorter work tenures than their non-black peers? Because that's like a you know yeah I feel like a black tech worker listening to this and I'm like man so that's almost like a like a sign on the door like you know dang I, I might really want to this is really like an industry that like I can thrive in I think that's where they you know no one just want to work they don't just want to survive black black people get into tech yes I know I was a <laughs> I know the suffering that you go through to get into STEM and you know being being a hard science and so on and so forth so I know that people want to they want the high career positions they want the money you know they want the the nice positions they want to be involved in all this high critical work or decision making at these companies or within the tech industry too um as well yeah i definitely want to hear steven's first just to mm -hmm. see if he's like because there were some reasons in here for why they do it i just wanted mm -hmm. to see like what his thoughts on are from that perspective so i read the article and i laughed and I, even while you used uh <laughs> yo steven is hilarious <laughs> that might be first sentence <laughs> um even when you were like introducing like mm -hmm. i was saying here like dang imagine like my work's listening to this like all ears and eyes like what's steven gonna say <laughs> Oh man, I hope nobody from works listening to this. But if so, I think so. I think the biggest trouble comes from the idea that, and I think I've seen this outside of tech, but tech has become more prevalent just because like it's high earning, and so all you're gonna see is high wage gap. And it's the it's the idea that things can get pretty easily complacent where you're working, right? Like I know people at my my job who work the exact same position for 30 years or 20 years or 12 years, right? Or even eight. Um, and sometimes when you work in the same position, it doesn't always garner the pay increase that you're looking for. And I think, especially in tech sometimes, it's hard for employers or even people who are new into tech to gauge like, when do I get to ask for a raise in my position, right? There's, there's a, there's a, there's, so many like stats out there that show like, oh, the median salary for software engineers is this, or um, IT DevOps is that, but they don't really specify always 10 years into the work in the, in the game, five years into the game, you're just starting off, you're 20 years in, how much should you be making? And I think, um, especially as a black person in tech, if you have contemporaries who are not black or even contemporaries who are black and you're seeing what a job change does for them, like from a financial standpoint, you're all the more incentivized to do it because people, I, I have mentors tell me like, 
listen, if you don't feel like you're getting the, the most out of the job you are as a tech person, leave. Because mm. wherever you go, they're going to have to up your salary. They're not just going to match it, especially if you're good. And so what, what what's the sentence of saying if, if you know you can get more money somewhere else and you know you're worth more money? Um, and I think the article kind of hits on that because I think there's just there's a frustration of you're kind of like two years in. There's not really a plan for you to go up towards management. You're just a programmer unless you kind of know how to navigate your way outside of just being a programmer, if that's what you want to do. And like I said, now I don't think anybody wants to be a programmer for 30 years. I, I can't. I know I don't. Um, I, I've told everybody I work for, like, I, I like programming, this is cool, but my lifelong goal isn't to be a, a jack of all trades, master coder. Like, no, that's, that's never been the ultimate goal. I never thought of that for myself. I wanted more than that. Um, so, I mean, I'll, I'll leave it there and I'll let y'all jump in a bit, but that's like the initial thinking. Now, Steven, do you think that the, job hopping is i think that's what's become the buzz term in terms of like career like leaving mm-hmm. the job but do you think that has a potential of limiting the number of blacks in tech that will receive management level positions right do you think the job hopping sort of creates a glass ceiling because they haven't spent enough time at one particular company yes and no right yes because traditionally if you look at a lot of people who are in management position outside of like uh like ctos and stuff like Mm -hmm. that traditionally they've been at the company for x amount of years like i think the director for my department she's been in at lexmark for maybe 20 years 25 years i had a call with her the other day i think it was 20 25 years uh i talked to other people it's the same similar story now granted i work at a more old school company that's not as techy as a google or apple but you have to be in those spaces for a, a certain amount of time. But also, even if you're in those spaces for a certain amount of time, it doesn't even guarantee you that you'll elevate to that level, which is why I said yes or no. Like you can stay and you still wouldn't get there. And so what was the point of staying necessarily if that was your goal? Um, and so I think that's what kind of makes it uh, tricky. But at least when you leave, there's a, like there are people who do that, like like they hire you and they're like, we, we want you for this, like more management role. You have the experience. We need somebody to lead us. Not really. We have the programmers. We just have no direction to do it. You can, you, those positions are open. It's just, are you savvy enough to exemplify your knowledge on those technologies? Are you do your people skills, which a lot of tech people lack. I'm gonna say this again. A lot of tech people lack people skills. They don't know how to have a conversation. They don't know how to like tone and diction when they're saying things. So like, even if that is your goal, if you don't know how to be a people's person, you're already like behind eight ball. And so I think that's a whole separate problem with tech people. Um, but those all compound, especially if you're black in tech to just work against you. Uh, so you have to just be extremely, I, I hate to say, it, but you just got to be savvy. You got to know the technology. You got to know how to talk to people. You got to know how to talk to both project managers, product owners, business managers, fellow developers. Like if, if your goal is to move past programming, you have to have the jack of all trades for that. And that's just hard to acquire just coding. So it, it is, to extend, it is a glass ceiling. You have to have like a superstar personality. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like when, when you got to be able to adapt, I think it's not even just personality. It's like every team is different. Like my team right now is pretty chill, laid back, and they're smart. 
um, and they, they grind hard. So it's like, you know, if you're working on something and you need trouble, like say something. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But they're also, again, they're like, you know, crack jokes here and there, but they're about their business. Um, and I've seen other teams where they're probably about their business too, but they're, they're much more like they have a much funner time with each other. Like they're on top of the cubicle cracking jokes and ha ha kikiing and like, oh, let's go grab some donuts real quick. Like they're much more social than some other groups. So it really depends. Like you got to be able to flourish in every single one. You have to be able to adapt because you're not going to like change people in the workplace necessarily. You just, the results is just what you need most of the time. So. Um, and that that superstar rockstar concept, I'll just give like a very brief story. I got that from like my freshman year of college. When I was in a uh, history class, Western civilization. You got to take it. Um, and my professor, we were talking, we were talking about Greek history. We were talking about Julius Caesar and we we're talking about his rise to power. Um, and he said that similar concept. Uh, he was like back then, like if you wanted to be in front of that, that Greek parliament back then, like mm-hmm. if you want to be like a standout back then, like you couldn't just be intelligent. Like, you know, you couldn't just be well-connected. You had to be a rock star. That was his word. Yep. That's what superstar from, but he's like, you have to be a rock star. You have to be able to have the speech. You have to be able to be cordial. You have to know how to host a dinner. You have to know how to, you know, from every tier of being social, much less to being a, a, a competent, you know, political scholar that you had to be or philosopher mm-hmm. back in those days, you know, you had to be everything else as, a, as like a full package too. And I even, I even, even like extend that metaphor to, um, former president obama too because yeah i was i was just gonna go there i was just gonna go there because like he had to do he he fully you know running into like his job as a presidency but as like his rise to like being that uh the democratic candidate for presidency like no blemishes no you know no scandals like clean career through college harvard you know you know michelle obama and princeton and you know all these advanced degrees then much Mm -hmm. like being a masterful orator public speaker you know being well well knowledgeable being able to connect people being able to inspire hope (laughs) you know that yes we can took over the whole country uh being able to like he he started that um getting the grassroots and getting the young people to vote that's how he really changed the ties in 2008 so he was able to use like the I don't mean, weaponize such a negative word. He was able to like, you know, operationalize um, like so many different parts of his skill set and so many different parts of his personality to like be that type of standout too. And, you know, we're talking about these grand gestures and we're talking about black tech workers and being able to just stay longer than, you know, two and a half, three years at their job, um, you know, and like, you know, just to scale, like how, like, you know, for me as a non-black tech as a non-tech worker i would say like it seems ridiculous like you know like if and you know my last thing too i've heard of from people from black men and, and women i've known in the tech, tech field personally uh, excuse me i've heard stories of um them starting jobs or start, starting so many positions um in the industry and then soon as they get to their first three month mark they're 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 beginning to uh they get let go before they even before the benefits mm. or you know, yeah, I, I really real very real stories. I and, would and, be and, down in your, <laughs> your home state, Stephen. I'm both your home state, uh, too. You know, it's happening there, too. Um, and you know, and it's just an issue, yeah. And he, you know, they, I just heard it just happens over and over again. So, it's just like, I'm not oh, working like, my home state, yeah. <laughs> you know, this, this cycle is just like something that's like Corey's crazy. Like, we could spend all day talking about this, but you know, just, just to emphasize, like, you know, the how black tech, even like it's like the growing industry. I'm not going to try to predict how much larger of a share that our tech companies in the United States have between Amazon, Google, Meta, I'm about to say Facebook. Um, who's it? I'm missing the fourth one. Amazon, Google. Apple. 
Apple, yeah, I'm bugging. I got an Apple phone. Um, I'm on my Mac right now. Um, you know, like their their share of like income that they make every single year, and like it's 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 literally insane. Much less we're moving into crypto and uh, virtual reality and, and machine learning and artificial intelligence and these humanistic robotics, like nanotechnology, like it's all coming right here in front of us. And so 5G, <laughs> whatever else. 5G. You know, all these developments coming out, like it's just it's just like you know, black people want to be in this growing evolving industry, but yet you know. Here we see there's just gaps of like how they can hold on to their job to survive, to much less make advancements, have you know illustrious careers, and so on and so forth. Yeah, but I think like I think Mike, you made a good point there, talking about how large the tech industry is becoming, because mm -hmm. I think it is just a reflection of what's going on in the job market as a whole, right? You know, our generation is staying at companies for a shorter period of time. We're moving, you know, job hopping again more and more. Where you know, I think it. I think it's four to six is sort of the average stint at, at a given job, uh, you know, across industry. So it's not a surprise that, you know, what do we say? Two to three for black tech workers. Yeah. Like, two it's, like it's not, it's not drastically different than the market average. And so I think we have to, to be mindful of that too, that this is, this isn't something that's unique. It's not something that that's, that's that different. Right. It's happening across industries. It's happening in business. Right. It's happening in so other social sciences. So I think it, it is important just because of how much representation matters, especially in a space like tech from the stories that I hear. But I think, again, it isn't that different. So I would just hope that as folks are making these shifts, they're making these shifts to to elevate their careers and not simply to make more money at the same position, right? Because I think, you know, again, this is the sort of the foundation for tech. And I would love to see, you know, more. And that's why I asked the question about management, right? Because I would love to see, you know, more black and brown people in those management level positions. But I think it does scare me to see the transition happen so quick, because like Stephen said, a lot of non-CTO, you know, type managerial positions tend to require some longevity with the particular company. So I think there just has to be a balance, right? But I think I'm not shocked because it's not just a tech thing. It's sort of just a job thing um, that's happening. So yeah, I heard the, that great resignation that happened. That, that as well, right? And so I'm, I'm, like I'm sure like, quit their jobs. It's crazy. I don't know when the study took place, but I wouldn't, if the study is recent, then I'm sure, you know, some of that played, played an impact. So, yeah, I, I, I think, well, I don't think I know a lot of people have either. I wouldn't even say have trouble. They're uncomfortable recruiting black engineers. And I'm, I'm learning mm. that um, might be a conversation for a different day. Um, but I think, yeah, I think people are very, it's not, I don't know if hesitancy is the word, but it's just, there's some type of like fear of acknowledging that you're going to seek out black engineers or black tech people. Really? Kind of, you know, yeah. You know what, you know what I, I saw? Um, not to cut you off, I'm sorry. You know what I saw too when I was doing research for this? I saw that a lot of companies are actually going to create hubs in Atlanta or Georgia mm -hmm. to help that problem too. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, Corey, so... Again, th th this might, I don't want this to branch off into this, this will be a long conversation. I oh, know for sure. But uh, when we talk about diversity in the workplace, it's very easy for black engineers and black techs to get lost inside the, mm -hmm. the umbrella of diversity. Because when they say diversity, as long as it's a diverse group of people, it doesn't mean within the diversity, it needs to be diverse. 
Yeah. So if you have people of a, from a minority background and you have quote unquote enough of them, I should say, I don't want to say that like there's a number, but companies know what their numbers are. Then it's not like, oh, we, we've hit our diversity numbers. Does that speak to black tech people? Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you're talking about it, I, I've, I mean, I have experience with this. Um, I know other people have experience with this when they're like, hey, you know, I'm connected with Nesby or, you know, from a non-engineering perspective, I'm connected with NABA or MAPS or whatever, what or SHEP, maybe for Spanish people, whatever organization. I know they're doing a conference here. I know people at the, like, at the university, let's connect. There's this, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, and then there's really no action, right? Mm. And that, and that's a very that's something I realized in undergrad, and I, I'm and I fully realize it as a professional now, um, because as an engineer you don't have control over what HR can do. So I can tell the cow until the cows come home. What's what should oh HR this is going on? I've already connected with this person. Uh, you know they'll love to sit down, talk to y'all, talk to some engineers. We can you know let's find a day, let's sit down, and it's like yeah 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 yeah. But if you're not persistent with it nothing happens and so now you're asking the person who's a programmer developer engineer for 10 hours a day 8 to 10 to also do hr's job about being proactive of hiring Mm. diversity conversation for a different day but i'm noticing a lot of things i'm noticing a lot of things so we'll we'll talk about it offline because i'm I'm interested to to hear oh yeah yeah, for sure i'm I'm, I'm I'm giving you the story i'm giving you sorry yeah 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 no, definitely, definitely. So thank you all for a great conversation. Um, just to, I know we probably, I don't know what the time is. Um, we're going to go into table talk really quickly. Table talk, table talk. Um, so I'm actually going to ask, this is going to be more rapid fire than a long conversation. Um, so we missed Valentine's Day. We didn't talk about it, I believe, <laughs> on our last podcast. Um, you know, we can't let it slide. We talked about it every year since we started. Um, so I, I just have some two rapid fire questions, just initial thoughts, you know, just what y'all think. So um, my first one is like, what do y'all think as, you know, mid twenties, young career men, you know, what do y'all think matters more in a relationship? Hypothetically, please, <laughs> please disclaim hypothetically, uh, romantic love compatibility or financial and career outlook of a partner. Like, is there a balance? Does, do you weigh one, one more than the other? Just open thoughts. I'll start first. Cause for me, you know, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I know, let me get it off. Um, go crazy, bro. Me, um, I, I'm a hundred percent on like on the fence on like a balance. Cause I think like for sure, like I'm, I would never say I'm going to spend my life with somebody and we don't even like, we barely like got things in common. We don't get along. We don't have fun together. That's just a no go for me. I, I can't do boring. I can't do like, you know, force relationship type thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, that's like, I, even if we were like career, like compatibility was like through a roof, like. I don't know, or financially, we were like, you know, very ma- matched up well. That just wouldn't work for me. Well, on the other hand, too, you know, even if we were all in love, but like, you know, your aspirations just wasn't fitting mine. Not like it's all about me, but like we were on the same trajectory um, as well. That also might be something that might be an issue for me. Um, and I don't know. I, don't, I think that I have like, I always have these big ideas of like high achieving partnership, you know, high successful family that we have kids in and stuff like that. So um, I'm not trying to let that go <laughs> by any means, you know? Uh, so that's just my, I'm, I'm definitely on the balance standpoint of it. Yeah. I think this is a really good question. Um, for me, I think love is a function of values. And so for me, it would be hard to find myself in a position where I felt truly in love if the values didn't align. Right. I think the two go together. So for me to, open up and fall in love 
will require those certain things to align. I think one of those things is financial outlook, you know, um, personal finance thoughts around that. So I think I've, I certainly think the two go together and one sort of sets the ground for sets the foundation for the other. I would say, honestly, it has to be a balance. And I say this because I think compatibility is extremely important, right? It might, it's a balance, but it's really like a 55-45 type of balance, yeah. right? Um, I think the 55 is a compatibility portion uh, solely based off the fact that the idea or the concept of marriage is a lifetime partnership. No one signs a five-year contract for marriage it's not the nba it's not you don't you don't you don't sit there like okay we're, we're going to be here for x amount of years then we're going to renew our marriage i don't think it works like that and so the idea that you need maybe hey maybe, every now and then, you know? maybe we got to rework it but um i think realistically if you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody there has to be i think a little bit more emphasis on compatibility now people change and this that and the third cool 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 I think that takes a, just a slight precedence. Now, what Corey says about values is absolutely true because people be blindly in love and they be confused. And if your values don't align, there's going to reveal themselves at some point, regardless. Um, and so that needs to be a priority to extent of they align. They're not the same. That's the where I think Corey used the correct um, vernacular there. They align. Not the same, they're not perfect, but they align. I'm saying one more time, they align. So I, I think that's very important. So I think I, I have, this is pretty even, but I think I just got a slight, maybe it's like 5248. I'll do 5248. That's my final percentage. <laughs> um, the, the next question is even more faster. You all think it's more acceptable for people to choose not to have kids given the condition, the terrible condition, I can't even say condition, <laughs> horrendous condition of the world right now. Oh, like the world's going to end in like 20 years or something? More acceptable? Yeah. yeah. Is it more acceptable now for someone to say that, oh, I don't want to bear children um, because I don't want to bring them into this type of world where there's war and pandemic, you name it. <laughs> I, 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 mean, I gave the list earlier in the, in the episode, but... Honestly, there's there's six billion people in the world. If people don't want to have, yeah, seven. seven. If people don't want to have kids, it's like, I don't know. It's a strong, like it's a, I don't like. I think I want to say it's less of a responsibility on individuals at this point, but it's like, I don't know. Like, with a declining population, what does that really mean for other people? Like, I, I, I don't know what the, the con is if people are having less kids and population decrease. Like, it's not going to drop an app. I know that. So if it's just like, if it goes from 6.9 billion to 6.7 billion or 6.6 billion, what does that necessarily matter? Like, at some point, our population was fine with 6.6 billion flourishing or flourishing with heavy quotations. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it's a responsibility. If people don't want to have kids, they shouldn't have kids. You, you know, God forbid you don't want to have kids, you have kids, and then you're just a bum parent. That's We don't want to see that. And now you ruined the kid. Nope, you don't need parent kids. You're good. Yeah, I just did a quick look up. We're actually at 7.9 billion. <laughs> we have 7.9 billion people on Earth? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm thinking about the textbook I read in 2014 in high school. Because <laughs> that's, that's where I just grabbed yeah, that statistic from. 
them the Mc, McLittle McGraw books or whatever. I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I remember this says six point nine million. We had seven point nine. Yeah, by twenty twenty five, we're gonna have like it's gonna be interesting. Our population might be a little unsust- unsustainable um, at that point. Yeah, the people don't even have more kids. I, 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 I'll I'll bring the kids. They don't gotta have more kids. That's good. That's like I'm bringing my kids. I always win them. Big so facts. They ain't, they ain't going nowhere. So I yeah. need an air horn you right here. If you want to take one for the team, that's that's fine by me. All right, moving on, moving on. Plug it, plug, plug it, plug. Yo, so Mike far. is not trying to let me answer questions today. And then oh, people my gonna, fault. And then oh, people are going to be like, yo, Corey not. Corey be running today. for the questions. <laughs> why, why don't you let Corey oh, answer questions like he be on fault. Instagram? <laughs> you know, I got to wait until the conversation. I thought, I thought you went already. That's my bad, my bad. Yeah. Yo, no. it's Mike fault. It's Mike fault yeah, that I answer. Fault, nah, but um, I just appreciate the thought that goes into having kids now. And I'm, again, I'm not, I wasn't here 20 years ago and 30 years ago, so I don't know if those same conversations happen. But I think especially in the circles that I'm in, there's a lot of, you know, intentional thought about mm-hmm. what do my finances look like? You know, what's my relationship status? Where do I want to live? How do I want to live my life? Right. I think those intentional conversations, whether you decide to have kids based on that or you decide not to, I just appreciate those conversations because I think we do need to be very, very intentional about bringing kids into the world, especially, you know, under the circumstances that are taking place right now. Um, and so even as we talk about, you know, we started the conversation about finances and, you know, financial stability and, you know, to end the conversation on having kids, I think those two would go, they would be aligned, just like we answered the last question, right? Those, two things, would, facts. those two things would be aligned. Horn insert here. <laughs> and so I, I just appreciate the intention and I hope we continue to have that intention regardless of what the decision is. So. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Is that the last question? Yeah, it was the last question. We need all, all right. our kids on that on the AU team. Why you want another question, Stephen? Nah, yeah, yeah, a couple I'm more. Big bullying, <laughs> big bullying, bro. We get to the, the little risque ones. <laughs> I mean, if, if we get to risky questions, you know, I defer to Corey. He's he, I allow <laughs> him to be the spokesperson on behalf of both of us. Go January Borns. Go go crazy. <laughs> I'm screaming. Hey, for the audience, if you're listening, please send us questions. We'll answer anything. Big fact. Through after our revision. <laughs> if you got specific questions, make sure they're for Corey. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, send us your questions. Send us anything. We want to see his answer live on the air. You know, no, no hold back. You know, very honest. Yeah, and means. if you if you directed it to Stephen and he doesn't answer it, I'll be sure to remind you on the next episode. So <laughs> it's all good. Yo, <laughs> that's crazy. Dude's trying to set up dudes. That's wild. <laughs> so just do a plug a plug, and then after that, it's everyone's favorite segment. Um, to start a plug a plug, I'm actually gonna shout out some, a personal touch for my barber, mm. um, where I currently live. So his shop, him and his wife own their their shop. It's called the Connect ATX. ATX stands for Austin, Texas. Um, the Connect ATX. Uh, it's an all-in-one barber shop. It's a hair salon. It's a luxury lash spot. It's a brow spot. You can get it all there. Um, your clients and guests, their clients and guests, excuse me, come and enjoy family-friendly services. No matter what the service is, each is luxurious and made to help you feel your best, um, whether it's a standard haircut, beard trim, set of lash extensions, braiding service, or anything else. I'm being dead serious. I'm, I'm on their website right now, and they have eyebrow tension, hair extension, lock extensions, uh, micro locks, soap press, facials, beard trims, dreadlocks, teeth whitening, full locks, eyebrow waxing, you name it. You can get it done man, at this at this uh, at the shop. Um, so shout out to them. 
Um, we're gonna hopefully, um, I'm in contact with him. He's gonna send some pictures and we can post there so people can see the, the, the quality of, of work that they do. But I definitely want to shout out this, uh, this, this definitely black minority owned business because you know they're, they're they their service is fantastic. I go there religiously every two to three weeks to get myself you know treated. So this is first hand experience. Um, and you know, shout out to them, man. I definitely want to put them more on the map and expand like their, their, their business and how much, how much people, how much attention they get to. So shout out to Connect ATX, shout out to Lidl Faded. Look, shout out to them. I might have to come come down there and get a cut when I'm down there. So yeah, I might have to check them out. I 100% recommend. Um, and now what the transition into past the aux. Yes, sir. Signal air horns here. Uh, so who wants to start? Um, I'll, I'll start off because my vibe is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And so I'll let you and Corey wrap it up. Uh, man, I'm going local. So one, y'all can't, uh, Spotify can't say nothing about this. I'm gonna put, I'm gonna play the song and I know I got the rights to play the song. Shout out to my guy, Nob. Uh, he dropped this song last month, I think January 24th. Another song that came out the week after my birthday. How crazy. Um, the song, uh, scam, simple, cool, automatic money. Uh, he got all the artists on there from Ghana. Oh, Kenneth himself, of course. Uh, CT the Kid and Pop Clef. And I'm going to get y'all started right as soon as I share the sound. Yo, Clef. Now I'm stuck as I try to see Breaking bar with the same bros. One time I was so low, so me need sick out and I stay home. I did here, I just give thanks. We just focusing on the same goal. Sick out as a summit in me, sorry, I know I'm feeling like I'm you saying both. Trench kit, making money from the same hits. Seven these bitches from 06. Two bottles, two old slaves. Turning rise to riches. Tell all my boys say I'm making a hit. Huh? Hitting the hide on pitches. Tell all my hoes say I'm moving to trenches. I'm a French kid. Money from a laptop, and I'm steady screaming fuck, and I'm steady. 
try to scream fuck to up. I could see a shaking, I'm in my mouth too. Yeah, but my sack, I feel it near good. Casting out those, what you wanna do? My high, I'm heading straight to the moon. Whole lot of gang, gang, now we ballin'. Hey, you load this season, no darling. Man, I mean, nigga, money, we talking. And we got the max cars when we clutching. Hey, this guy, I'm on the EBD. We loaned it, that man, boy, in a trap, don't hit me up. Man, what you know, go, I buried it up. Penny in a kidney, do see, I'm corroded up. Hey, two shots with my guys in the sky. I remember when I'm dead, gotta fold it up. Hey, sometimes it'll pick it up. African boy, I'm running up bands. Know some little niggas that's running up scams. Your little 20 bands, ain't no money to me. Shred me a comment, just 20 a week. And buy no your dibby, I say your jibby. We talking about crypto, you talking about CDs, Jimmy. We come in your city, we get it, bro, Liddy. And fucking your bitch like Gigi. She go there loud, she know that I'm rich. Nasty ass nigga, she know that I'm lit. She catching my vibe, she cannot resist. Kanechi Kumasi, we killing this shit. Bottles, me cop it. And drum no, me drop it. And bomb no, my chop it. You niggas in harm and stop. So that scam, uh, shout out to Nob. He, I know he's been grinding real hard. He's been, he's been in Ghana for months just working on music and everything. So shout out to him. I know his song's doing crazy numbers. I think he's about to hit almost 8K. Already hit 7K. So shout out to him. If you didn't know, that last verse was his. So show my guy some love. Title, Spotify, Apple Music. Just about anywhere you can get music, buy or stream, you can cop. So give it a listen. Or shout out to him, man. Shout out to Bro, definitely. And he did come to Wings and Whiskeys because he's real. He did. Of course, <laughs> of course. And he was having a great time too. Thanks. Um, I'll go next. Um, this is a song by my guy Kaz uh, off his new project. The project is called Fortunate. Um, the song is called Addicted. So make sure y'all check that out. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Recording. I bet. Yeah. It's your addiction. Just pay attention. Yo, <laughs> ditching my addictions is like switching my pigment. Shit, if you got any advice, I'm here to listen. We all got plenty of vices, and mine no different unless we talking about women who grew up without their father, so they addictions attention. You know them girls with they only fans and they description. Few dollars for naked pictures, no judging. Cause I'm addicted to watching y'all twerk on Insta, so fuck it. As long as y'all ain't lying, they kick it, I'm with it, uh. Liquor like the police, it tells me to stop resisting, uh. I don't even know me, don't tell me how I should live it up. That's the shit I tell myself, knowing that I should give it up. Still hit my no good ex whenever she trying to give it up. Cause when I'm drunk and need some sex, who else gonna give it to me? New pussy might carry that death and try and give it to me. Still use no condom even if she trying to give it to me. Ah, I forgot to mention, addicted to that raw feeling. Can't shake my vices even if they all kill them. Guess I'm one track minded, I might have autism. Dog, listen, I've been trapped behind a dark prison. My mind keep telling me stay, but my fucking heart isn't. I'm twisted. I'm just another con that's conflicted. Another pawn in God's palm itching to divine God's image. Been doing wrong so long, right seems so long distance. Long story short, I've been addicted. Yeah, man. We all got addictions, man. We're all addicted to something. Fucking phone. That toxic.
Oh, yes, uh, that was Cause. Uh, project is called Fortunate. Song was called Addicted. Um, he just always has some some real verses. And so I definitely got to listen to right. sit through that full project. But I definitely rock with that song. Yeah, I didn't realize he dropped the project last year. Like when you got sent to it. I was like 2021. I don't remember this. Yep. Oh, shout out Dreamville. Facts. Bro. And then, of course, I will last. Um, I just had to put a song on there. Senior heard me play when he was here. Mike he cheating two weeks in a row. That's crazy. <laughs> no, nah, I think uh, I cheated last week. I think he was good last week. Nah, yeah. Gunner's, Gunner's album went crazy. That's a cheat. His album was fire. Um, I guess it's another cheat. Well, people didn't really pay attention to Nas's album. Nah, they but did I right. did. I respect Nas. Um, and, you know, this is just my favorite song off there. I've been playing it so much in my car. Uh, this is off of his recent tape, uh, Magic with Hit Boy. Uh, this is Woo for the Children by Nas. Yeah. I don't work this hard to be around people I don't like. Uh, yeah. Gotta be a special type nigga to deal with my life. Gotta be a special type nigga to feel what I write. Special like my classics. Special like my listeners who have attachments to my old style. Won't let me pass it. I don't see the point with weak sayings like all them niggas on top be blocking. I never help, man, stop it. It's hard watching brothers who smart but think they not. I need them to realize what they got is a fresh start. That brother that you claim so powerful. The one you said he has a whole lot of pull. Probably already tried to pull his brothers up. And got betrayed, got snake, got played. Meanwhile, he balances challenges. Hard to keep himself paid. It's so hard for him. Even though his talent is God-given part in him. Stop putting your faults on him. What he did to you now. The man in him is bringing the kid in you out. You kidding me still? Playing the victim, you weirding me out. That's what my perspective is. Maybe because I'm a specialist. Sick the mixed liquor beverages. Six figure checks are big, but eight figure checks and you rich. The Nas enthusiast thinking they know what's best for me. More than I know what's best for me. No rest for me. Gotta be a special type nigga to deal with my life. Gotta be a special type nigga to feel what I write. Special like my classics. Special like my listeners who have attachments to my old style. Won't let me pass it. Special. Yeah. It's a privilege, VSOP shit, special. Tough, 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 tough. Mm. I rock with it. Big Nas, big legend. That's the end of our longer than usual episode. Was um, it longer than usual? I think we actually pretty good on time. Yeah, yeah, good I can't. I'm used to. I'm used to like seeing the um, the join up scene I used to have. I think it was audition or whichever. Yeah, yeah the audition went because that number is clutch. I'm not gonna lie. I I need something like Zoom needs that. I've been looking at like they got a little app thing in the corner. I'm like they don't got no clock app on here or something. Like I don't know. We'll figure it out. But before we go, um, I always forget to do this in the beginning. But make sure y'all like, rate, review, subscribe. Um, the podcast is back. Um, we back consistent, so we're gonna get we're gonna get the episodes right, the episode number right at the beginning of one of these episodes. We're right. gonna have to have to think about it, but we're back. So make sure you follow us um, on all podcast streaming platforms or whatever ones your favorite. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at ad combos. Give us questions for table talk. I'm taking over next week, so you know I'm mm, ready for any and sir. all questions. Any and all questions, I'm taking them. So hit me up. Um, however, you got to get in touch with me. Uh, let me know what you what you thinking, topic wise and table talk wise. Um, so we are we are there. But make sure again you like, rate, review, subscribe, leave a comment. 
Um, whatever you feeling, good or bad, leave a comment. We appreciate it. Um, and yeah, we'll be back next week. So, Mike, thank you so much. I think this was a dope. This was a yeah, dope. Was really I said that. I said it when I looked at the article. Like, Yo, this is gonna be a dope conversation. So, even though he ain't let me answer all the questions, screaming, screaming, screaming. I'm moving too fast. I'm trying to look nah, nah, but it, but it was dope. And so, I hope y'all appreciated the conversation. I think this was a dope week. I love this new format where each person sort of gets their own week. So, um, we're gonna we're gonna stick with it for a little bit. So, let us know what you're thinking in terms of topic, in terms of questions, in terms of cocktails. Um, we want to make sure that we include in y'all at the table. So, peace and love. Stay safe. Peace. Be on a sequel. You can catch us at 5 p.m. Every Sunday, telling stories about the culture. Do out in sculpture. Recording every Friday. So, here with our way. No need to catch a fight away. Stay tuned for our take. Take. We on it after dinner.